Yeah, fortunate that I'm just too old for this crap. <laughs> too old for TikTok, <laughs> thankfully. Hey, this is the big story. Thanks for listening. This week, I'm in the Big Apple. I drove up from Asheville to meet my wife when she came back from Portugal. We hadn't been in Manhattan together for a while, and this was our best chance for the foreseeable future. Having lived here for 25 years makes this my de facto hometown. So spending our time eating, hanging out with friends, and hitting the bookstores was on top of our to-do list. Another was taking advantage of the time away from my daily routine. I find the punching in and punching out nature makes it hard for me to really find the clarity for my work. I get a lot of thinking done when I'm traveling. Be it observational or reflective, I seem to make the connections that elude me otherwise. This week's guest is artist and writer Andy Watson. After seeing the beautiful images of his graphic novel with Simon Gain, Sunburn, on Twitter last year, I tracked the book down, where upon reading it, I found the writing as beautiful as the imagery, and no surprise, I'm a big fan now. Andy is a thoughtful and prolific creator who bakes meaning and subtext into all of his stories, and we can all use more of that in our life, I'm sure. I know I can. All right, this is me and Andy Watson. Am I growing up? I don't know. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> It creeps up on us all eventually. <laughs> it does. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in the north of England in a small town near a city called Leeds. Um, it used to be a mining town. And then kind of one of my formative experiences really was the decline of the mining tree and um uh, they had the whole changes in the culture that um, the mines were shut down and there were strikes and lots of strife and drama. And, um, and yeah, I was kind of, I grew up in the middle of that. I was a teenager then. And then it was kind of, um, I never wanted to work down a mine or anything like that, but it really did kind of solidify the idea that I wanted to pursue art because it was the only thing I was interested in really and the only thing I was any good at. And that kind of set me apart from most of my friends because then I knew if I wanted to do art then I kind of realized I had to go to college and then I had to do A-levels which is the equivalent of high school in the US so yeah from like maybe 12 onwards I kind of had an idea of where of what my path would be and it was different from what my friends had done would do and it was different from what my family had done so I was the first member of my immediate family to go to college and um it was art that took me there really otherwise until then i'd kind of wanted to be a um a car um engineer someone who fixed cars even though i'm incredibly useless at anything practical so i don't know where i got the idea from <laughs> but yeah I, w I wanted to be a mechanic <laughs> just i was going to be a mechanic despite having no aptitude and no facility for it whatsoever i can barely change a light bulb so um but yeah eventually i did realize that yeah art was the only thing that really interested me so uh yeah so that set me on a course for life really that i had to um yeah do education longer than i thought i would because um i'm not really academic at all really i have a hard time taking in facts and information via um books by by words i mean visually i'm okay but um so yeah this whole like new horizon opened up and then i knew that i had to work to do just enough to get 
to uh, graduate high school and then just enough to do a, um, a foundation course in the UK. You go from high school to do one year of art foundation course where it's kind of like a boot camp where they teach you all the basics and kind of kick all the stupid things that you think you want to do and what you think you know uh when you're 18 and then you cross that border into okay this is serious it's like the introduction to fame the tv show you know this is where it gets serious and stop hanging <laughs> sweat kind of thing and you know i couldn't have my rotring pen renderings of ninjas anymore that just wasn't cut it i'm gonna have to open my mind to a broader interpretation of art so yeah i did a year of um of a foundation course uh, which totally blew my mind and totally opened up art to me and then i did a degree in um illustration and graphic design um specializing in illustration and then towards the end of that i made the fatal decision to um yeah to get lured the siren song of comics called me even though i'd never intended to make <laughs> comics because it just looked too incredibly difficult and ridiculously hard work and um, yeah. you know the people that i liked um jaime hernandez the love and rockets and stuff i thought this is crazy you'll never be as good as this guy this guy you know he's a credible you'll just never be this good why would you do this but then i did do it so yeah and here i am uh 30 years later three decades later still trying to get good at this thing so um but that's the reason i've kept at it really is that it's so difficult there's so many different things you need to master that i'm still interested i'm still challenged by it and so i'm still pushing yeah it is incredibly hard let alone writing a comic book. I mean, that's hard enough to begin with. Drawing one is hard and laborious. Like all these tasks are compounding. So the more you want to control your vision, your your expression, that's just another like slap on another hundred pounds on that bar and get to work. It's so much more to do. And I want to unpack all that stuff because there was so much in there First, like, so, you, I mean, you grew up in in a mining area. So, I mean, this is a very physical people working, you know, <laughs> literally in dark holes for, you know, for their livelihood. And how did you view you, yourself in the context? I mean, because like you mentioned that you wanted to fix cars and kind of be in that realm initially, but that that seems applicable. That seems like you know, an app, apples and apples kind of world. But then you say, hey, I want to do art. What was that like being like the art kid? Because I know what it was like being the art kid, but I didn't grow up in, you know, in a, in a blue collar world. It was a bit weird and it still is weird. My my parents still don't really get what I do. <laughs> um, and it did. I mean, it has had kind of long-term consequences in that I feel divorced from my upbringing in certain i'm slightly yeah unmoored hmm. maybe um it has been odd and i'm still kind of trying to come not been a dramatic you know traumatic experience or anything but i do feel separate to the way i grew up and slightly separate from the people i grew up with in that i had this thing that i was interested in and it it led me, you know, into the wider world. It led me into museums. It led me into art galleries. It led me into literature. It led me into um, music. All these other areas that um, that I became interested in. Um, yeah, I'm. 
I really haven't really figured it out in my own head. But yeah, it was kind of a a parting. There's a kind of a chasm that I feel like I'm slightly on one side of a big, not a Grand Canyon, but you know, and then my upbringing, uh, my family are kind of on the other because they. I grew up uh, blue collar, um, working class, not at all. Um, kind of artistic at all i grew up with very few books in the house initially uh, my kind of lifeline really was the the public library and mm-hmm. television and uh, comic books to some extent books as well and then school so yeah it was weird for me and um and i don't it was really hard to like yeah um peace with that listening to you say that and then having read your works, I also see that reflected in the work that you, you create. There is this um, outsider quality that you put into your protagonists and place them into situations where they have to find a way to navigate this unknown realm. Is that fair? Yeah, I think if you look at Sunburn and you look at the book tour, they're both about individuals who are taken about are taken from one particular milieu and placed into another, and they don't really knew, know the rules particularly well, and they have to like mm-hmm. figure out this new world and what the um, yeah what the values are, and um, that's definitely something that chimes with me in that I moved from like this. I mean, went to college. So, I mean, college um, art school in the UK has always been kind of a, a way for working class kids to bootstrap themselves up the education system without being mm-hmm. academic. So, you know, I was really mixing with people who are much more middle class than me, uh, much better educated. I mean, I went to a, a not great school. My academic record is not fantastic. So, yeah, it was definitely weird. I had to, like, figure out, yeah what are these people like and um yeah and understand their experiences which were quite different to mine about oh yeah we go to the theater every week with my parents and all this kind of stuff which was just something right i'd never experienced that's just like completely out of my realm but yeah so um particularly in the book tour like alienation is a definite theme of that book in fact it's the overriding theme of kind of one person who's kind of completely lost the world and uh it doesn't quite work the way he thinks it should do and um so yeah that's an exaggeration of some kind of of my own experience i guess in some way and you Mm -hmm. you just kind of um yeah build up the tension increase the stakes uh the stakes for me were very different very small scale but yeah for a a character within a drama yeah you want to kind of um exaggerate but then also for me always have that core of lived experience or um something to anchor it that I feel like I understand this person some way, uh, even if it's just a small kernel of who they are. Um, And then when I have that kind of key, maybe, or the seed of um, I understand that this comes from a real place, then, yeah, I can build on that. I can uh, push the snowball down the hill and it builds and it builds and it builds. Yeah. I think one of the the best parts about writing a story is that you know, maybe you have a premise and a character and once you start sort of really kind of putting yourself in that space of the character within that premise and the environment and you start to feel their choices, you start to feel their personality come out. And, you know, these are these are sort of qualities of ourselves that may not be fully expressed in, you know, in our daily life, but we 
you know, maybe we could be more bold or we can be more thoughtful or whatever the thing is. And it's really a wonderful surprise as the story unfolds before you, you know, you get, you, you're sort of the first preview uh, reader of your own story. Can be revealing in ways that aren't very flattering to you as well. So, you know, you never know what kind of horrible aspects of yourself you may be revealing in your fiction. Yeah. You know, it's funny reading Sunburn, just remember seeing images of the book kind of popping up here and there, like on Twitter or wherever it was for a while. And I just kept going, I got to read this book. I got to read this book. And if you haven't read the book, buy it, read it. It is it is a wonderful book. And I think I posted the other day. I mean, it's like it's a great book to read during the winter. Like it's this kind of it really does warm you up just looking at it and reading it. But there's this underlying sort of tension and menace early enough into the story where this countertonal note is struck and it's ringing for a long time. And you just keep going, when is this going to resolve? Like I need this to resolve, which was just such a wonderful kind of overlay um, to the, to the work. Um, So yeah, I, I, I really applaud you and um, your, your, your co-conspirator in pulling that off. Thank you. Well, that's one of those great things about collaborating with Simon is, yeah, he's amazing at playing um, beautiful landscapes, beautiful people. He can do all kinds of things. But um, for this story, it needed attractive people, uh, you know, wonderfully designed cars, uh, lovely clothes, everything, the exteriors, the the materials had to be beautiful and seductive. And then I was kind of working slightly against that as well. So, you know, it's one of those great things about comics that, you know, the visuals are doing one thing and maybe the words or the, or the, the subtext is doing another. And when two people are working together like that, it's just really cool because I'm used to working uh, on my own, like doing everything. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about Cliff Chang. Um, but yeah, working with a uh, yeah, with someone like Simon, it's um, it's such a treat that you both get to do your thing, and then you know it's more than the sum of the parts. Uh, if you just create something new between you, I don't think I certainly can do what Simon does. I'm not sure Simon can quite do what I do, but together we have this two-headed monster thing, which uh, which can pull off something like Sunburn, which I couldn't do on my own for sure. It's super wonderful and. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's has, I mean, it really does. It's a transporting, you know, piece of work. You do get to go somewhere and be somewhere and be in another. I mean, it really felt like reading a book if that, if that is the, the literative way of putting it, I, I, I enjoyed that. So, but you do both, you're not just writing and you're not just drawing, you're doing both. You're sort of, you know, filling the buckets, multiple buckets with different tasks Let's just say you're naturally, averagely busy. Like, what does your work week and day look like as a as a creative person? Um, just work does dominate. Um, and it's part of the nature of the medium that it's labor intensive. And um, I wake up and um, I'll check my email and then have some breakfast. Then I'll start work. And um, it depends on what kind of project I'm working on and uh, the stage of the project. At the minute, I'm working on a middle grade book um, for a um, for HarperCollins. It is, um, and um, it's a much different process to working on something like the book tour. The book tour, I just decided that 
I had this idea. I absolutely had to do it. There was no way that I could not do this book. So I just sat down, I wrote it, I thumbnailed it, and I started drawing it. I did an awful lot of editing. And I didn't consult a single person in the entire process. So it spent maybe really? 12 months, maybe longer. And it wasn't until I'd finished. I didn't even show it to my wife or anyone. Um, I finished it, and then I showed it to some publishers uh, to varying results um but anyway but yes yeah, so i went through this whole process um on my own without showing or sharing any of it and then at the end i tried to get it published um i had no idea that it would get published i had very much i had doubts that it would find a publisher and in fact i was kind of at the end of the road in that thinking maybe i can't do this anymore because uh, there's just not an outlet for me there's not a publisher there's not an audience for a book like this or someone who does different things like i do but anyway so that was the book tour that was a very different experience to what i'm doing now today i'm working on thumbnails for a middle grade book which is a funny fantasy book called punicorn for harper collins which is one of the big five publishers and mm -hmm. working with editors and within an editorial workflow within a big bureaucratic structure is totally different to doing something like a book tour in that i have to provide synopses of stories multiple drafts then i have to do a script with thumbnails and they're not thumbnails like I would do for something like the book tour, which just scribbles, chicken scratch. Only I can really see what they are. I have to produce something close to pencils, I'd say, what mm -hmm. I consider pencils anyway, um, with a script uh, typed out. And then, so this is what I'm in the middle of right now. So that's the entire book. That's 200, 220 pages of um, kind of, yeah, making what is in my head, uh, be something that is visible to editors is understandable to editors and is editable by editors and can fit within a workflow so i work on a ipad on procreate and then i create the files okay. digitally uh, for the book tour it was all on pen and paper and pencil uh, the scripts were literally um just a legal pad i'd chicken scratch out a thumbnail of the of the um the page and then i'd uh, scribble out the dialogue in pencil and then kind of cross it out and all the rest of it. Whereas this, it's much more structured. Um, it has to be way more clarified. My thinking has to be much clearer. And I'm basically communicating the book, not just the readers, but to the editors before the readers. And then there's kind of feedback that comes in, notes, changes. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing today. And it is a really big kind of uh, culture shift from what I do on books, on books of my own. And sure. Um, I was just curious how you because a lot of people who I talk to who are writers and artists, the way that they write the books is this hybrid between drawing and writing where they start structuring the, the narrative through layout. And sort of so you can kind of get your pacing, you know, under underway. It, do you work in that fashion? I do for my own books, yeah. And I, I okay. prefer that method because it's much more organic. You have um, give and take in the different areas. You draw something, you find a character, and that influences the writing and vice versa. It's much more organic process. You're discovering as you go on discovering every step of the way. So you're discovering on the script, you're discovering on the thumbnails, you're discovering on the pencils, you're discovering on the inking, and then afterwards you're editing and you're switching dialogue around and you're changing scenes up um 
that's the method I prefer because you are creative every step of the way um, mm-hmm. with uh, working within a bureaucratic structure uh, like a big publisher you are primarily your first job is to communicate with the editor clearly right. and then they're right. able to get give you feedback and give you notes and clarify bits that they don't think is quite clear enough and all this kind of stuff so once the thumbnails and the scripts are done um it's on to inks so there's but you kind of locked in then. You can't change the story after that because perhaps it's been copy edited or it's been pre-read or you, you can't just throw in a new scene with the characters because it will, A, change the page count, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's a set page limit with that you can go up to because then the the price of the book goes up. Um, there's all these other... And then it messes with the, the page turns, all these other things. So, yeah, for reasons that... Uh, to do with working within an editorial workflow you have to nail it down so it's like nailing down a script for a movie or something and there's no changes after that maybe um so yeah once the script and layouts are done that is it that's kind of like the really hard creative stuff has been done and then it's onto the kind of muscle memory thing so inking coloring stuff like that um which it's less creative for me. It's more, I know I can do it. And then it's mm-hmm. put the podcast on and occupy the other side of my brain. That <laughs> is usually thinking about writing and changing things and possibly making things worse. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, trying to switch that off and just concentrate on the next job in hand. So it's definitely that kind of um, wealth of nations thing that everyone has their speciality. But I, my brain has the different specialities. And then after a certain point, I can't really change things, which can be a bit frustrating but i understand why it makes sense within the way that the book industry works so i have to you know they have a square hole and you have to be the square peg to fit into it you can't really um yeah editors are so overworked within the book industry they're juggling so many projects that you can't you can't mess them around you can't make life harder for them it's just totally unfair no understand how overworked they are so yeah anything you can do to make their life easier um improves your longevity within that area uh, they will sure. likely to employ you again maybe if you're not seen as yeah. a, a troublemaker perhaps but um but yeah so these are the really different ways that i have to work and uh, the kind of culture shift or the the the, fo- the way my brain works has to shift with it as well yeah it's it's interesting what you were talking about like you know oh the post writing and thumbnailing or, or layout portion becomes production. Okay. I can just, cause you have to sort of be in, in a non distracted world when you're generating, you know, when you're creating something, when you're, when you're really trying to connect to that excited part within yourself about the thing you're working on, that's the moment like, okay, I need either silence. I need music without words i need i need i need to have my tea or whatever the thing is that keeps you sort of in that zone and but then there's other work that you can just maybe you could have a tennis match on and just keep and go and go to town with with some of that stuff so i i i marvel at um you know some of my friends who are long time inkers and they have they've got movies on they're you know they're 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 working with a movie on like i couldn't even imagine i mean i'm not to say i haven't tried it because i tried it and failed miserably but um yeah 
but I totally identify with that. Do you have, do you have specific things you do to keep yourself honest and task oriented while you're working on these things? Because like specifically for like the, like, uh, the, you know, these graphic novels for, for publishers, you're working outside of your comfort zone. I could also find that to be, uh, a harder entry point on a daily basis of going, Oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta do some scripting today and I don't want to script. Like what do you do to try to make yourself be a good, a good person? I just kind of, um, I look at the deadlines usually because the deadlines okay. are just so hard as well that that keeps me scared. Um, literally sometimes I look at, okay, I've got to do X number today. And it's, like you say, you are within comics, you are constantly kind of juggling the creating and the producing. The fact that mm-hmm. it's a comic book, you can't get away the fact that you have to produce. Um, you have to do, you have to come up with the goods because there's no one else who's going to come up with them for you. So, yeah, right. I just try and set myself like at the minute, I'm trying to do four pages of script and thumbnails a day. I don't always do that. Sometimes my day then comes an evening and then inevitably comes a weekend. Sometimes I get my four pages done. Sometimes I get two, sometimes I get one, and I feel guilty and horrible. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow's another day. You just have to start again. As long as I keep sitting down and doing it, and as long as I get scared about the deadlines, I I come up with the goods. Um, And also I tell my editors, I say, yep, I'll do everything I can to meet this deadline. Um, You know, life happens, stuff happens, the car breaks down, the dog gets sick, blah, blah, blah. All these things happen, but I will do my utmost to meet this deadline so this book keeps its slot so this doesn't make your life harder and um and i just i try and keep my word whenever possible sometimes it's not possible sometimes you go over we're not machines we're not you know you don't input you know toast and a cup of tea and some brian eno in the background and then suddenly you've got four pages of wonderfully creative work at the end of the day it just doesn't work like that i wish it did no. i so wish it yeah. did it would make life so much more predictable and easy um, but if you don't come up with the goods today you have to come up make up the time tomorrow or at the weekend or you know ask for an extension and i almost never do that i try not to um i guess i've just been doing it long enough that there are days when I'm massively distracted and I want to do anything else but do this particular thing that I've got to do today. I'd rather look at Twitter. I'd rather look for books on eBay, you know, all these other things that I like to do. I then try and turn them into a carrot rather than a stick. The stick is a deadline. It's my guilt. It's my shame. And then the carrot is, yeah, you know, if you you do this page, then you can have five minutes on Twitter or you can go make yourself a a coffee or whatever, or then you can maybe in the evening you can look at eBay and buy this paperback, use paperback (laughs) that you already have somewhere in a big pile, but you can't find. So you're going to buy a second one. Um, Just all these tricks that, you know, that you have to come up with. But in the end, the bottom line is you have to do the work. But um, like we've mentioned, the production and the creation and this kind of balance, you're always trying to keep them both, juggling both. You don't just want to be a machine cranking the stuff out. Um, But there are um, good aspects to the production side, whereas if yeah. I'm inking then I know I can listen to music I can listen to podcasts I can go to a cafe and do some work there um, if I'm writing there's no way like you say I have to have 
wordless music on. I have to have silence. I have to have my cup of tea. I have to sit in my special chair with my blanket over my <laughs> my legs like an old uh, septuagenarian. And um, that's my way to get into the, try and force myself into the mode, into the, if I didn't reach the flow state, that, you know, a wonderful uh, shining light of the flow state where it all just comes naturally. It rarely ever does, but that's what I'm trying for. So, yeah. Yeah. Discipline is there, but I don't always have it. You know, it's like meditating. You can sit there and you can do the thing. You can sit down, you can close your eyes, you can be in a comfortable position. You can, you can pay attention to your breathing, but you're thinking about things and you have it, it, it. And it's, it, it had, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You know, and back to the breath, but you it's, so the working thing is not too dissimilar in that respect because it's a balancing act to keep on that edge of that creative bubble that you're moving forward on not the creative bubble that you sort of sink into and just kind of go wallow around in the in it you need to be sort of moving that bubble forward and it's 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 tough i i i have to do a ton of things to try to keep my brain sort of in shape to keep working and and I somehow forget what all these little tricks are. Like I just, I know I'll, I'll next thing I know I'm like not being productive and I'm like, why am I not doing, doing the things that I know will get me back on course. So like I've been using the, I guess the Pomodoro method, which is at 25 minutes of work with a five minute gap. And man, like four hours goes by in a snap because you're hyper-focused and then you can, then you can write an email or, make a tweet or whatever the thing is and then get back to the work thing. And it's so, it's so great because you are super productive, but that combined with preparation, like knowing what you're going to do that day versus just sitting down and just making it up as you go along. That's really rough because you can spend that four hours not being super productive. Do you have to be productive? And I'm always slightly wary of the word productive because what is productive being creative? I mean, there's always this tension there. Are you just spinning your wheels? You're repeating things you've done before or you're pushing yourself in new directions? I mean, you can't push yourself every single minute of every day. It's just not how right. the brain works. Sometimes you push and then sometimes you sit back. You have to produce because it's comics and it requires an awful lot of work. And yet you don't want to just be churning the stuff out like a hack. So mm -hmm. it's always or you feel like you have you're just turning the stuff out. So, yeah, it's always this kind of delicate balance. What, I mean, what do you what do you define like internally? And I'm not saying like, oh, well, I felt I'd hacked this. But I mean, what is it that you would say like, oh, I totally am a total hack looking at something you either wrote or, or drew, like, like what, like what makes a distinction between, okay, I'm okay with that versus, Oh, <laughs> if I go, uh, then I will change it because I can't live with my, uh, um, right. if I, I can reach an accommodation where it's not, uh, it's like, Okay, not perfect. My best drawing of, uh, from this angle perspective is a little bit wonky, but it's good enough for today because, um, you know, there's only so much I can do. I, I'm not aiming for perfection. I'm aiming for the best I can do on any given day. And if anything stands out as, uh, then I'll change it. But um, sometimes you don't have to, you're just not given the, the luxury of time to do that. So sometimes occasionally an, uh, sneaks through or you don't even realize it's enough you look at it several years later and think how but for me when i look at things the thing that's in front of me now is the thing that i'm going oh, am i 
just the worst ever is this rubbish i don't believe it in it anymore whereas i look at something from five years ago ten years ago i think why can't i draw like that anymore why can't i access the andy brain from you know go back in time and draw like him um right. so yeah it's it's just the weird aspects of this job that yeah old stuff can looks way better than the stuff you did this morning but give it time to mature like cheese perhaps or wine uh, maybe you'll uh, you'll see the good stuff in it it's so interesting you say that how we there was a point 10 years in and near the end of my comic career as a as a penciler where i was talking with my friend and studio partner and we were both lamenting our current work versus our old work and we both acknowledge that we had better technique than it was five ten years ago but there was an x factor in the quality of the drawing itself that just seemed to evade what we were doing in time i think i've chalked it up to this process so like you get better at things and you start learning new skill sets and you kind of layer, they're, they're like sheets of like sketch paper, tracing paper that you keep layering over something and you lose clarity and vision. But you got all these layers of really, really cool doodads that you're able to like pull off. And it felt like because you, you would first start, we started originally, you know, white piece of paper, blue pencil, maybe, and then do your final drawing on top of that. It was very direct. And then we went to these more cumbersome methods of drawing on copy paper and light boxing that below and which creates a beautiful finished image but the zing wasn't there anymore it's the um the classic the thumbnails that i'll do my sketchbook the little scrappy ones i'll mm -hmm. try and i'll try to recapture the end of that within a finished page or within even a, um, an iPad procreate layout and just not be able to do it. Just there's so many intangibles that you it, we're not machines, unfortunately. We just can't produce this kind of thing on tap. Sometimes it happens and it's, right. sometimes it's by accident and sometimes we're totally in control of the tools and it never seems to be forever. It's just kind of a brief moment that you completely on top of your game and then you kind of go slightly off the board again. But um, yeah, it's kind of, it's part of the job when you're, yeah, when you're in the, the weeds of it, that you notice these mm -hmm. kind of peaks and troughs and then you can like step back and see, yeah, what was good? Maybe what was not good. Um, but I always try and not beat myself up. There's so many other aspects of creative life that are hard, um, mm. emotionally, psychologically, that, you know, just don't be your own worst enemy, you know. Give you, cut yourself some slack, give yourself a break, you know, you're doing your best you can. Um, you know, occasionally, no one's perfect, you know. It's just, uh, just do what, just do the best you can um, and then yeah. put it aside and then fix it later. But, you know, yeah, it's okay to not be perfect and uh, it's reaching for perfection is definitely something that can really um, destroy the joy of creating. So, you know, enjoy what you're doing. That's why I always try and remind myself anyway. I think that's a great way of putting it, that aiming for perfection will destroy your joy. Like it, it can really do that. You're right. I was trying to think of a parallel when you were talking about the sketch to the, to the drawing aspect of like on the writing aspect, like what is that loss of dynamism from the original story idea? Like on a writing end, is it the, like, how do you, how do you start your stories? Do you, do you like, have a premise and a character 
and you write like a log line or how do you capture that first? Here's what I want to do. Do you have a way of doing that? I, with the book tour, something that I had was a book of um, uh, photographs by Ajay of Paris, um, kind of a turn of the century photographer, kind of influencer surrealist. And I brought that book at San Diego Comic Con maybe 20 years ago. And I thought, there's a story in here, but I don't know what it is. Uh, it was only 20 years later when I had the idea of someone who goes on a mm. book tour, uh, A, why, where would he go? And then I kind of put it together. I had the idea um, for like a character, yeah, who would not fight back. So someone that things would happen to. So that was an important yeah. part of the story. And also where would this take place? So um, the visual aspect then went ding. Yeah, it'd be like these empty streets of Paris that Ajay um, photographed. So I have like um, a theme or a character or a situation, which is kind of like the part, and then it has to glom like two pieces of Lego to a, a visual part. Mm-hmm. And when the when I have the the writerly part, the visual part, then I know I've got a graphic novel. But many times I've had a writerly part and I've just not had the the art style of the character or the the, the reference book or the visual bit, you know, or vice versa, that, and they haven't worked. It's when you bring them two together that ping, that's when the sparks start flying for me. And then I hit the scrap paper with a pencil and I just start writing notes and ideas for scenes, uh, dialogue, perhaps characters, situations. And I don't have a structure in mind. I just like put down ideas and they all go off in different directions. And then I get terribly confused. I have a big ball of kind of string. And then I okay. start sniffing away and trying to break it down into an overall shape. What happens in this story? What is the overall arc, if you want to call it that? And then break it down into scenes. And then eventually I've kind of got a synopsis. And then as long as I've got a skeleton, then I can work from there. Um, I find I need that kind of structure underneath. Otherwise, I then can't build on top. I need a clear picture mm-hmm. of where I'm going. So I've always struggled. I've tried to write prose. I've tried to write novels. Mm-hmm. And yet when I sit down and have the keyboard and then, yeah, I can write words now, I just totally fall apart. I just can't do it. Whereas with graphic novels, with comics, I can kind of, the structure's there, the pages are there, the panels are there. I something about my brain that I can put the pieces together that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I start with small, like very kind of small things that I think will be the, the base idea, then build them up, make a complete mess, confuse myself, drive myself crazy, and then kind of cut back in and try and find what I was looking for at the start, but with more flesh on top. And I really love that part of the process. That's my favorite bit. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating. You don't know when to have a story and if it's going to be any good, but I guess that's part of the high wire, uh, part of um, the joy of creating it then um, it's going to be the best book you've ever done it's going to be incredible and then the reality is it's the bu- best book you can do at uh, this time um, but um but yeah the potential uh, the next book is going to be the best um that's just the the fun bit and then it's the <laughs> it's the hard work of making it happen yeah it isn't much different than novel writing i mean it really is that that first draft is the best there's very few things when you are drafting something that match, you know, an experience of creation, like this is it, this is great. It's a mess, 
And what typically stops a lot of people, whether it's making a comic book or writing a book and probably even writing a song, is this <sighs> our engagement with anything that we love is a finished product. So we we hear that Brian Eno song, we read that novel, we read that comic book. All those things are finished and complete. They didn't come out that way. They weren't magically conjured. So when we give ourselves permission to make something, we go, oh, it doesn't look like it's supposed to look like, or it doesn't sound like it's supposed to. A lot of people go like, I guess I can't do this. And they stop or they struggle with it where it's that first draft. It's that knotty ball of yarn that is fantastic because at that point with all those pieces touching each other, you can go anywhere you want to go. Like like all those synapses are connected and that's when the work begins and you go in there with your tools and you pull it apart and you tease these these things into proper shapes, whether it's sonically or literally or visually. And it's the best and it's being able to be okay to be a piece of shit when it comes to creating stuff is how you make something really good. I think the point, I can't agree more with what you said, that you give yourself permission to create something, which is the greatest gift you can give yourself. It's just um, if you can make the next step, if you say to yourself, you can do anything you want and you can create something, and then the next step is doing it. I think the thing about the debate about AI art and people who are really high on the AR, AI art thing is that they want the finished product and they miss all the fun bits the finished product is great fun bit is giving yourself permission to create something and the process of creating it that's mm-hmm. the best um yeah the end product is great yeah but it's the it's the journey thing man you know that's the really good bit if you miss all that out you're missing all the joy of creating i mean and why else do it if you don't enjoy it Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like travel. Like, I mean, not that flying in planes for long distances is fun, but like, let's be a little more sort of ground level, but like taking trains and buses and, you know, in in an automobile to faraway destinations is really the, you know, the movie vacation with Chevy Chase is, is the journey to the location. It's not the being at the location. That is nothing to do with the film. And that's what the whole creative process is. It's that getting lost. It's the running out of gas. It's all those things. It's the spotting the thing that you did never expected to see. And that's what makes the day. It's what makes the work. Um, I love technology. AI is an interesting tool, but it, it is not a thing that is replacing something. It's just another thing. It's just another tool. Like, you know, the, they hated the electric guitar when it showed up, you know, and it probably was ridiculous in the hands of a lot of people for a long time, but of ultimately some people with greater skill and taste and understanding, get their hand on a thing and make it sound phenomenal. We'll see what happens with AI, but we can't judge it now. We just have to accept what it is. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll all fold it into our processes somehow and it will help us make things that are interesting and good. We'll, we will see. Yes, it would be nice to... 
a machine would tell me how to use a semicolon that would uh, resolve a long-standing yeah. issue of mine but yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> That's fine. If that's what the, if that's what the culmination of science comes to for our yours and my benefit for this one specific thing, I'm okay with that. Space travel be damned. So, how do you go about pitching this graphic novel you're working on? Like, what do you produce and send off to uh, an agent, or or I don't know if you work directly with a publisher or do you work through an agent? Um, how do you go about that? In the past, I've just finished books and I've sent them out and then sometimes they've been published and sometimes they haven't. Um, uh, for this book, Punicorn, that I'm working on now, I first approached an agent because um, I just was running up in, in a brick wall trying to get the book tour published. I did eventually in a circuitous route, first uh, through my publisher in France and then uh, the French publish, publisher sold English rights. Uh, you know, it was this whole, uh, yeah, real depressing process of uh, it was great it worked out in the end it was just really hard finding an english language publisher for the book tour anyway so i was kind of thinking okay i need to get an agent i need to work in a different way perhaps i need to uh yeah um work on something um that publishers are looking for right now which is um a graphic novel um middle grade and YA and stuff. Um, so I took a bunch of ideas uh, to an agent that I'd been introduced to and we kind of hit it off. And she said, okay, I got, I had one of the ideas called Punicorn. It was just one image and it was mm-hmm. like a, nothing more than a single paragraph. And that was my pitch, which isn't going to cut it. So she encouraged me to say, um, okay, develop this. You need to do like 10 finished color pages of artwork and you need to do a detailed synopsis, so several thousand words, uh, word document mm-hmm. broken down into chapters and scenes, so you describe everything that happens. And then she said, and I hate doing this, I hate pitching because it feels like you do all this work and then nothing comes of it. Mm-hmm. And I I resent that hugely. I could have created a whole graphic novel by now if I wasn't wasting my time pitching to these publishers who um, don't accept my pitches. Anyway, so yeah, she lured me in bit by bit. Do some more work on this um, on this synopsis and then develop a bit more and do a few more pages. And so 10 pages became 15 or 20 or something like that. So in the end, I right. had like a, I don't know, <laughs> 10,000 word document with the synopsis and then it had... 20 pages of finished color art and then it went out and and then she pitched it to various publishers and then eventually got picked up wow so yeah if it hadn't been for having an agent i would not have gone through this process because um yeah like i say i hate pitching uh, but it yeah. seems to be a necessary part of the whole thing um the fun bit for me is developing the story if i've already developed the story um yeah kind of like okay well i've eaten my pudding and now i have to <laughs> eat my greens <laughs> and eat my uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and drink my um yeah w- w- drink water or whatever yeah it's sure. uh, it's a bit counterintuitive to me but it's the <laughs> way that the industry works so you have to like work the way they work so yeah that's that's well that was and that took i don't know three months okay the two things that i i, I can tease out of that is one the glib thing is that creating pitches is like dating you know, you, you, you have to, you have to do that to be able to figure out who the person you want to spend time with for, for the long run will be rather than just go, 
here we go. We're in this. And that make that makes for some terrible uh, after effects. But the other, the other, the other thing is that I, it's like when I was in art school, I had this, I think it was my drawing teacher, my painting teacher, my first year. So the foundation year where they make you do all the things you don't want to do. And they were like, listen, the more you paint, the better you're going to be at drawing and vice versa. And the idea is that you need to solve problems in different fashions with different tools to be able to do the thing that you may want to do. And I think doing things like pitches, you know, writing the dreaded synopsis, which is the worst thing in the world, you know, doing that makes you understand the story so much better than if you just made the story because you have to think about it. And that because like your brain is the best Andy Watson brain in the world. And the more you can make the Andy Watson brain understand what the Andy Watson brain can do, the better it can perform and produce. That's sort of kind of yeah, where I think they pitch. Clarifying process, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're Sorry. you're communicating. No, no. But you're saying you're communicating with the with the editorial people, but ultimately you're at you're communicating with the reader. And I think if you can really push that communication, if they're going, oh, this is great. I get this. This is this all makes great sense. Well, it's going to make even it's going to be great sense to the person who's never seen it before. That's yeah. why it's so painful. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I'm sure everybody like, well, everyone is super happy they work at Pixar and they make amazing, amazing <laughs> films. And they're all, they're all, you know, oh, no, like, because someone's like, it's not working. We've got to break it down and re- redo it again and figure it out because that's what you need to do to make the thing amazing. And we're all, we have to be our own little Pixar in that respect. And it's the, the hardest thing to do. Yeah. What is the hard, what is like for you, like the hardest thing? So I'll share first. So that way it's, that way you won't feel so on the spot, but like putting like, like the idea of the synopsis, like I can write a 200,000 word book. Now I'm not saying it's a great book, but telling you what the story is in like, a page worth of information is the hardest thing for me to do so much so that like, I will rewrite the book four times before I have to do that again. <laughs> like that's how much I don't want to do it. Yeah. Similar for me, the synopsis is really hard because you are kind of pitting yourself down to what the story is before you've really kind of even started. Like you say, you will write the book first before writing the synopsis, which would be my preferred method probably. But yeah, um, I develop stories myself, not via plot, but by character and dialogue so that's Mm -hmm. i discover as i go as i work on it which is fine but you can't say to an editor or a um a big book publisher trust me because they've never worked with you before (laughs) (laughs) right you have to um you have to you have to show you can do it but um but yeah um the synopsis is so hard um i don't know what the bug is going to be like until i've spent a year on it and yet i have to sit and write and 
nail down every little bit of what this story of a lot of what this story mm-hmm. is within several thousand words before I've even started on designing the characters yet. Um, it's counterintuitive to me, but I see how it makes sense to make, yeah, to clarify your thinking and also communicate with people who don't live in your head. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, right. Is, um, which is part, which is what being creative is all about isn't it (laughs) yeah because it's it's like it's like cheating letting the characters write the story for you like there's there's part of this kind of like (laughs) you know don't worry it'll happen because the characters will figure it all out and that's great but you know unfortunately you have to sit at the keyboard to do that for or with a pad of paper for however many months or years it takes to do such a thing this is a confession yeah i mean (laughs) I find that I will convince myself that X leads to Y or this plot point works, and yet I don't really know, (laughs) or I don't know yet. And when you write a synopsis, you have to produce the good. You have to, uh, yeah, see why, tell the editor why X leads to Y. You can't just, yeah fudge it you have to yeah you have to clarify your thinking and you can't hide behind yeah it'll all come together in the end you have to like do the hard work which is why i dislike it (laughs) it's the equivalent of doing the manual labor of like chopping a stack of wood or building a thing where your your muscles ache and you're tired your hands your hands are sore but you're like i did the work and it feels good and i know that it is solid and i think the same thing happens after a real focused hard day of you know writing or drawing or whatever the task is yeah and like it is hard work that's a real brain heavy work of the process which is hard to do in sustained bursts so um I'm doing this thumbnail stage now, which is the bit where you make or break a book. It's where it works mm. or it won't. So you have to put in the work and it is, it's really hard on the brain and yeah, desperate for a break, but yeah, um, it has to be done. So yeah, this is it. You, this is where it all goes down. So, And you're thumbnailing in Procreate? I'm thumbnailing and scripting on paper first, just trying to get the dialogue okay. right because I'm working from a synopsis and then... I then take my scribbles and then I kind of finesse them and then do them to the right uh, proportions in Procreate just with grey lines and they're fairly rough, but they're much closer to pencils than I would normally work if I was just yeah explaining the story to myself rather than to mm-hmm. uh, to other people. So yeah, it's um yeah it's um it's yeah it's hard work, <laughs> uh, but yeah well, it's, but also it's kind of fun working on paper and then taking it to the computer and then working in a slightly different way there. I firmly believe if I was, you know, 20 years old and in art school, I'd just be like, this is all I need. I just need this and I can go make comic books. It's very good for for being portable. And also, um, yeah, it's obviously a, a really good tool to have um, to, um, yeah, to work with text it's not great but as far as drawing goes it is the best thing i've the best approximation i've come to i mean i'm used to i'm mostly a yeah pencil pen type of person but uh, mm-hmm. as far as using it for this specific um purpose of doing thumbnails where you have to make changes and you have to um do uh, deal with editorial notes that 
Uh, and you don't have to scan artwork in, which is the bane of my life. It's the most boring part of like uh, working on paper. But the scanning in, um, if you take that part out and the dread of yeah procrastinating, getting the scanner out and like doing all that kind of nonsense, then yeah, it's good. It's a good direct way of getting ideas from your head uh, down in a way that can then be shared with other people. So I really like it. And yeah, it does take away the need to pack your bag with pens and pencils and erasers and all the rest of it and, and then take it to the cafe if you're going to work there or whatever. So you just... <laughs> Sure. All the stuff is there on the iPad. Like I've got, um, I don't know, I'm 181 pages done and they're all in this like little machine here rather than a big stack mm -hmm. of like scrap paper with tea stains all over it. And, you know, it's an incredible mess and hard to uh, to find the right page and all that. So it's, as far as keeping, um, uh, keeping artists um, also... <sighs> Not only is it convenient, but it's also good for, um, yeah, keeping it neat and all together in one place, which is the number yeah. of times I've, you know, lost pages or lost a scrap note that I've made, which is a vital plot point, And then it's on a post-it note and I've thrown it away a week ago or whatever. Uh, all those kind of oh. things you, um, you, you, <laughs> oh. you can't do. <laughs> no, that hurts. It hurts hearing say, that. I... <laughs> if you don't that... <laughs> It's the worst losing a note when you have this sort of like epiphanal moment of like, okay, and you write it down <laughs> and it's, it's gone. Cause you're never going to remember it ever. Like it's just a goner. So I understand and I sympathize. Oh, I wanted to go back to, to the book tour. So you were kind enough to, to share it with me and I read it and absolutely just loved reading the book the early turn in the at the train station i'm like hey this isn't something's up but i thought he's just setting the character up so this is a very steadied individual in a very vertical world how did you come to this character because he, he's really really fascinating persona i he was because I sort of had the character in. He had to kind of match the story and that these horrible things were going to happen, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't take up a shotgun and get revenge or anything. He would kind of mm -hmm. let it roll over him. He'd be very British and very English, and <laughs> would do anything to avoid an embarrassing scene, which is definitely something that I do. Um, you know, I will go out of my way to avoid conflict or, uh, or uh, yeah, of any sort. So it was definitely a reflection of myself. And then, if you, the more adversity he faces, the more absurd it becomes that he doesn't snap, um, mm -hmm. and yet understandable to me somehow. Um, so yeah, the the two had to work together that way. It's a beautiful book. The environment, you know, maybe I'm biased because. I will go into every bookstore that I walk past. There's nothing better than the bookshop. And they're all great. You go to the ones that are the, this finely curated shops, don't have a ton of books, but they've got great books. And then you go into the other ones, which are just packed to the gills of everything. Uh, like that one that you have in the book, that one, <laughs> that one shop is just, I mean, my, my spine tightened when the guy tells me how he had it order, organized. And I use that word loosely. It, it's, but every single one is, is a sort of a journey and an exploration and a surprise. And the environment was just that beautiful thing. Are you a fan of Parisian bookstores? 
Yeah, um, the very first time I went to France and to Paris, in fact, um, the publisher of the book tour, in fact, um, invited me over and he took me to a bookstore called A Modern Regard. It's closed now, but that is the one um, that I based on. There's no alphabetization and it's books to the ceiling and it's actually dangerous to go in. Sadly, now it's closed, (laughs) but that was something that stuck in my mind forever. Um, This guy, he ran the A Modern Regard. He'd showed my publisher some of my books that were published in America. So this weird kind of aburus um, situation where there's been all these connections. But yeah, um, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, Paris is just great anyway. But yeah, the bookstore, Shakespeare and Company and all the rest of it. Um, and yeah. I, like you, love a bookstore. Um, my wife and I just came back from um, a trip to Hay and Wye, which is the kind of site of a, a literary festival in the UK. But it's called the the Town of Books. And it's got like 20 different bookstores. So we just spent two days instead of going for a day. Like We've been for a day before a day trip. And couldn't get anywhere close to visiting all these bookstores uh, with all these run by different characters um, and organised in different ways. So, yeah, we went for uh, several days where we could actually sleep. <laughs> Our brains could then process that, yeah, we knew more than one author and uh, we could go back for more. Yeah, so I love bookstores and, yeah, I love drawing bookstores and I love books. If I could show you my studio, it is um, teetering piles of paperbacks, secondhand paperbacks all over the shop. Quite dangerous, in fact. So, um, so yeah, all these things, yeah. <laughs> All my obsessions, um, yeah, it's small, embarrassing humiliations of the publishing world, um, the books and bookstores, they're all in the, in the book tour. I think you're reading the book with visions of, you know, publication and, and book tours of my own. And I just kept thinking, oh, I've sat alone at tables at comic conventions for a little while, you know, and it is, it is not fun, you know, and I, and that's why I try to always stop at people who are lonely sitting there at a convention. I'm like, Hey, so what are you working on? <laughs> You're an angel, sir, an angel. (laughs) Didn't Lord's work. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough, especially if you're sat next to someone who's incredibly popular. Um, Mm -hmm. Then it just, um, it's even worse. (laughs) You capture that that sensibility with the character, but you don't make him sad. Like, he never seems sad about anything. He just seems to absorb it and move on. It's a very unique ability. I yeah I'm not sure if it's healthy or not in one way it's it maybe is the right thing to do to just not acknowledge the reality perhaps and maybe another it's just um just refusing to deal with um yeah to <laughs> to to life as it is um and I think you have to have a very thick skin to like work within the creative arts and um maybe he takes it to an extreme I'm not sure or maybe he's just completely disassociating but um but yeah I kind of admire him <laughs> his his fortitude and his stoicism as um I, yeah, there's part of me that does admire him, even though his obsession, you know, takes him right to the end of the line. So, uh, but yeah. I kind of r- relate to that as well, in that what else am I going to do at this stage? What what do I like to do more than making comics, uh, despite all the craziness of the industry and all the frustrations? Um, yeah, this is what I really like to do. And for yeah. a while in the end, he, he makes his choice as well. Yeah, and he's, he's focused on his... The book tour, he is doing his obligation, go to the stores because that's what the publisher is asking me to do. But he has an agenda. He does not waver from this. He is 
consistently trying to do because he wants to get the next book done. Like this isn't just I'm done. This is just part of the continuum for him. Even when things go bad. He's yeah, he's trying. He has a vision of the world and he's trying to maintain it. He's trying to like keep all these bits that are falling apart and holding them together. Um, yeah, and do we all do that in some way? We all kind of have a vision of the world that we would like it to be, and we perhaps ignore reality and and cling to it. I don't know. There's many aspects to his personality that certainly um, that echo some of mine as well. I mean, the working in the creative industries is a very odd thing to do and making comics is kind of a weird thing to do um you live life and then you process it and then you draw in little squares with little people and then there's words above their heads i mean it doesn't make much sense and yet that's kind of how i make sense of the world mm-hmm when people talk, have you watched this show or watched that show? And there's just so much out there. Like you can't possibly watch all the shows. Comics are very similar. There's just so much good stuff being produced by such a wide range of creators that Twitter is almost horrible in that respect because you get to, you get exposed to all the stuff out there that you're like, Oh, I want to read that. I want to see this. I want to, you know, and it's, it's almost too much, but getting sunburn um was that amazing surprise of going oh my god this is like this is a fully formed piece of booking here it's beautiful and uh i guess maybe twitter is another bookstore and that's you know like that big uncategorized piles (laughs) yeah i'm i i relating that there's just too much to for me to get my head around there's wait i just don't even try to keep up with tv i've kind of way totally given up on that i mean i try and read as much as i can but yeah mm-hmm. some areas i just yeah i mean other people say this is the best tv show ever and then i just <laughs> no, i'm never going to watch it i still haven't watched the wire yet so you know there's still a lot there's way more tv than i'll ever be able to watch and i've still got to watch the wire on dvd so right and there's and it's like television and music and books and comics like there's just there's so much of it you'll never get to it just enjoy what you get your hands on i guess is the best way to do it and don't feel burdened or pressured because you haven't and this is me saying this to myself because i think i do feel that way at times (laughs) what do you do to clear your head country walks and reading like what is the things that keep your head together um yeah reading i guess is what i do when i'm not working obviously i spend time with my family um yeah i like to go for walks i like to do exercise um i love to leave the house occasionally just not happening at the minute but um when the weather improves and when i'm not under a um a strict deadline then yeah i like i like to go out and cycle and you know experience the world i like to uh eat out and i yeah but i mostly i guess my um yeah i read and again that I like to read prose because it's not work. I'm not analyzing a comic and wondering why mm-hmm. does this work and why doesn't this. Um, I, so prose is my place where I go, where I enjoy, um, yeah, art without having to judge um, or without making it work. Um, and I would kind of love to write more pure prose. And yet I do worry that the love that I had for comics is different before i started making comics in that the more i know the more 
analytical, analytical I get, the more judgmental I get. And it's really hard for me to just enjoy a comic the way I used to. So, yeah, I try and observe the world of prose as a safe place where I can go to where I'm not, yeah, engaging in all the analytical stuff around this being mm-hmm. a career and all the rest of it. So, so yeah, I'll try and read a, a book a week and um, and just read short stories and um, stuff in translation and uh, different genres and just, yeah, that's my that's the place I go and and it fits nicely with my obsession with you know buying secondhand paperbacks <laughs> from eBay well, <laughs> and going to secondhand bookshops and all this <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, it would be a terrible terrible hobby to have if you didn't read and yet huh. I do stack up these unread books <laughs> I'm sort of like at the tail end of a book right now. And I'm, you know, it, so when you hit that sort of last quarter of the book, you just want to keep reading because it's usually the most insanely fun part. But I get a lot of reading for the show. And that stuff naturally has to go into the top of the reading pile. But then I open your book and not too long later, I'm like not thinking about anything else. I'm just into the stories. So I, I'm fortunate in that respect. Have you found you, do you have any, um, have you lost your love of prose from being a practitioner rather than just a consumer or a reader? Great question. With prose, it is me trying to figure out how they're structuring scenes and how they're utilizing the arcs. Like, why are they closing this arc at this point? Like when I feel like, oh, this is this was definitely an arc that was open and this is a promise being made it feels soon for this or that sensibility of like, I feel like there's a whole bunch of loose threads here. Why are we not wrapping this up? And there's only 50 pages to go. That's that kind of stuff. So, but it doesn't diminish my desire to sit down and open a book because I think if the, if the person writing the book is doing their job at the level that they want to, I won't be distracted. So great writing is invisible. It, it steers me away from books that maybe I've really liked 20 years ago. I guess maybe you get a bit more discerning. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that by being a practitioner, practitioner it's changed your taste in books, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah. What, what kind of books do you now, are you drawn to that you weren't drawn to before? Um, I'm much more interested in literary books than I was. I like reading Murakami now because the exciting fun books that I used to like to read, they hurt my head because there's so much wasted stuff happening in the books. If that makes, if that makes sense, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be derogatory towards a a genre or any, or any author. It's just, I mean, I'll reread Fritz Lieber because it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. If the ideas are cool, I'll overlook a lot of the other stuff too. So you said you write um, around science fiction or speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you feel you have to write long because the market demands longer books? I wrote the story that I wrote. Then I looked into what the, what the sort of the, accepted requirement was like hey how long are these books because i didn't know i read what i like and i wrote what i wanted to read 
thankfully I was in the area. I wasn't, I wasn't a million miles off either. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by the way the market, you know, the market skews the medium and it makes on writers. Um, I just think it's strange that science fiction or fantasy demands trilogies and demands long yep. books rather than short ones. I mean, it's a massive generalization, but um, no. it's just weird that, that how that works. Listen, their businesses and the businesses need to figure out how they can maximize their return. It, it's why the, you know, the American television industry is, if we greenlight a show, we're going to run it till it, the wheels fall off of it. Like they, they, they don't go, we're going to do three seasons and we'll be done. I think the companies feel that the buyers expect X, Y, and Z. So they expect that cozy mystery to be this long. They expect that fantasy book to be fat and thick. You know, all these kind of elements that may be the norm, but I bet you a great story will get published under whatever size it's done. I would hope. I'd hope so too, yeah. So you're working on Punicorn right now. You're a few months away from starting your finishing artwork? I am on book two of Punicorn. I'm contracted for two books. So one book is done already. It's going to be out in the fall this year, hopefully. Um, So I'm working on book two. It's going to be out in the fall 2024, uh, hopefully. Um, I've got till mid-March to thumbnail this book. Then I've got to ink it by the end of the summer. Then I've got to have it coloured by mid-November. So that's my year. <laughs> wow, I got my, okay. my schedule in January or something. And yep, that's it. This is my year. So there goes summer and um, most of the fall as well. So yeah, I mean, this is it. I've got a year of work ahead of me. And it's weird knowing that this is what I'm going to be doing all year. But this is what I'm going to be doing all year. So uh, it's got to be done. And I'm going to be doing it. So at least you can know that you have something to do. (laughs) That. That is the nice bit of knowing that I have <laughs> I have work lined up and I'm going to be paid so at some point, which is lovely to know because usually it's just the other way around. I'm doing work and I mm. don't know if I'm ever going to be paid. So uh, this is a, a nice, yeah, it's really nice to be in a position like that um, and know what income I'm going to have this year, which is great. Um, knowing that I've got to do nothing but this all year is kind of worrying. But yeah, it's just going to be mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So yeah, I'm... I'm I can't say I'm looking forward to it right now, but once I've done this bit, <laughs> once I've done the thumbnails, then yeah, it will be, I can listen to podcasts and I can, yeah, leave the house perhaps maybe. So yeah, they'll, it'll hopefully get easier <laughs> after that. I've done the, push the rock to the top of the hill and then it'll go down a bit. So yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that's my year. And I've also been working on a sister book for the book tour and I've got that scripted and thumbnailed, but just haven't had time to draw it yet. So um, we'll see what happens um, maybe towards the end of the year. Maybe I'll get to work on that. Um, I have oh, wow. no idea what's going to happen with uh, Punicorn. Um, yeah, that's two books. And yeah, the, so the book tour sister book is not a sequel but it kind of sits together um in a way um kind of mirrors uh the book tour um so yeah it's not a sequel it's not a prequel but it's kind of (laughs) cheesily say it's an equal um but yeah there you go and i think it's a really good book it's uh it's been a lot of fun to write and draw and kind of work with the book tour and then kind of work around the gaps and um, yeah so it's been really interesting but i've just got to draw it so instead of talking about it yeah i've got to <laughs> sit my butt down and draw that next but that that would be nice to um yeah 
get back to paper and pen and stuff and change things up again. But we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, for once, I know what I'm going to be doing for all of the year, which is uh, which is nice. There's great relief in that. And I think if you can balance that out with the the high wire act of making your own thing, I think you can kind of sort of a nice yin and yang of life. That would be perfect. I wish I had time and the mental energy, the mental battery to do both. But uh, I can only do one right now. But uh, but yeah, it'd be nice to have both going at the same time. That would be my dream. Uh, but the, the universe isn't conforming to my dream just yet, but we'll see. Maybe next year Here, you'll figure it out. Where can people find you on this old internet world? I have a website, which is Andy Watson with Andy with an I dot info. I'm on Twitter at, as Andy at Andy Watson. I'm on Instagram, Mastodon. I, um, I have a newsletter as well, which I release maybe every week where I just write some um, quotidian anecdotes about my week and, and maybe um, something about something I'm working on as well. So I release that on Wednesdays when I uh, fit it around everything else I do. I also have a Patreon, um, patreon.com slash Andy Watson, Andy with an I, and there I put up lots of process posts about what i'm working on so at the minute it's lots of punicorns about uh, thumbnails how i go about it and what changes i make and i also put up a one-page strip about autobiographical strip every week every thursday on my patreon as well so yeah i'm i'm still spinning quite a few plates it's a lot it's it's so much work to run your own creative business the perceived luxury of sitting alone in a room doing the thing is far in the past (laughs) (laughs) yeah you do sit alone doing the thing it's just that you're never not doing the thing (laughs) i'll put all the the links they'll be in the description so uh when people uh look at the podcast they can click on all the stuff and find you in the various locations and all the new social media platforms because you're out there TikToking and Snapchatting away, Andy. Thankfully, I, know. I have my limits. Yeah, fortunate that I'm just too old for this crap. <laughs> too old for TikTok, <laughs> thankfully. Have at it. Have fun. That's all I say. Enjoy it. Um, thanks so much. This is this is an absolute joy. Um, I love your work. I, I really I, i'm super excited because now like i get to go find other things that you've done and read read other things and look forward to things that are coming out so um thank you thank you so much it's been uh, a lot of fun to to talk inside baseball about comics and various other things as well hope everybody listening uh rushes right out and picks everything up that you've done because it's great work please do there you go um yeah you can go do a book tour next year yeah well hopefully i won't get arrested but yeah i'd love to